If you haven't already, would you turn in your Bibles towards the very back, the book of Jude. You go to Revelation, go to the very beginning, you're going to find Jude about a page, maybe a page and a half in your Bible. We finish our two-week study of Jude here, warnings of judgment and reminders of grace. Warnings of judgment and reminders of grace. It was a little more than 20 years ago now, so I'm a little foggy on all the details. But it was a beautiful church, sunlit with sunshine coming in the windows down the side of the center aisle church, beautifully decorated. People I loved gathered in there, and my heart was all aflutter. And so I don't remember everything quite that the pastor said. He talked with stories from the Bible to illustrate his point, and he gave some stories from life like we know it to illustrate his point. But the point he came back and said time and time again was always choose grace. Always choose grace. Always choose grace. You see, I was standing there looking in the eyes of a beautiful lady who was about to say, I do, and become my wife. So you'll forgive me if I don't remember everything Pastor Charlie said, but I think I remember the most important part, right? Always choose grace. When we've considered in the book of Jude here and just last week and this week, the warnings of judgment, last week was pretty stout sermon. I mean, Jude doesn't pull any punches. He tells it in an unvarnished, if anything, he kind of lays it on thick uh, descriptions of the sinfulness of the heretical teachers that were seeking to divide the churches that he was writing to. But if you think about it, even a warning of judgment is an act of grace, isn't it? Because that warning of judgment, you're saying, you better be careful because this is what's going to happen to you unless you change. You confess your sins, you repent and turn from your sins, and go the direction that God Almighty, the holy, righteous God is calling you. And so we come this morning to this idea of a reminder of grace. When we think about God's grace, there may be no better reminder than our Scripture memory verse for the month. And that Scripture memory verse for the month is the benediction at the conclusion of Jude that we'll get in the conclusion of our sermon here. is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Jude 24 through 25. I know that one's a little longer than we normally do, but man, what a loaded scripture for us to know and a way to pronounce a benediction over someone you love in a time that seems to demand it as important. So we're in our Bibles in Jude, and if you're following along with us, and hopefully you followed Pastor David's direction and went to southviewbaptist.org backslash bulletin. And from there, you can link to the sermon notes in version. And those sermon notes you can find in version, the Bible app on your phone. Go to the events or live tab, click that and find out there. And you can follow along as we go. Those will also be posted with this as it comes as a podcast in the next day. Grace. Always choose Grace. 
Let's read our focal passage today, Jude 17 through 25. And if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you do so? But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. There are, these are men who divide you, who follow their mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all ages, now, and forevermore. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Father, we echo what Jude wrote, that to you there should be glory, majesty, power, and authority. You are the only sovereign God. And in the midst of the world where we have a pandemic, where we have election questions, where we have our daily life that we have to consider, what if I lose my job? What if I get sick or someone I know does? We come before you, the sovereign God. And we submit ourselves saying, God, we want to be able to give you glory through our lives. But we ask you, Father, that you would continue to shower your grace on us. Give us grace to make it through. Give us grace to testify to you. Give us grace, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I've got four major points for our sermon today, and the first one is that the ungodly divide others. The ungodly divide others. When we look at what Jude is saying to the Christ followers and churches that he was writing to, as we mentioned last week, we don't know exactly where he was when he wrote, we don't know exactly to who he's writing, but we can tell by the context that it is a church or churches that are beset with false teaching. And it's a type of Gnosticism, Gnosticism meaning like knowledge, that you have to know something in addition to the Bible. You have to know something in addition to what uh, Jesus said. You have to know something in addition to what the apostles taught. And that gnosis or that knowledge makes you really a believer. And it's quite clear from the text in Jude that the Gnosticism that was taught there was a libertine Gnosticism. In other words, these were people, that false teachers that came in and said, oh, all those things that Jesus talked about and all those things that the apostles talked about, about keeping yourself holy and keeping yourself pure, you don't need to do that. There is grace from God. You live however you want. And it's evident from the Scriptures, even in Jude, that their licentiousness found its way into debauchery and all sorts of sexual sin as well. And so this was in the church, this teaching that you can live a terrible sinful life without consequences and 
you know, making light of the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus. So Jude, who is the half-brother of Jesus, is writing this letter to defend the faith handed down from Jesus to the apostles to these churches. And he says, but dear friends, remember what the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Okay, pay attention, he's saying. He goes on then, and we have a question. What are the hallmarks of ungodly people? What are the hallmarks of ungodly people? Well, there's a whole lot of them you might can name, but we're going to look at the ones just in this passage of Scripture. And it sums up a lot, really. Verse 18, they said to you, so the ones foretold, the false teachers, in the last time there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. Well, excuse me, it was the apostles telling them there will be men like this coming. So let's look at the characteristics. The first is that there's going to be scoffers. There's no indication of the specifics of scoffing, but it would definitely be that idea of the heresy uh, from our context, that they're saying, no, you don't have to listen to what they said. They're making fun of it, right? So the first hallmark of ungodly people is that they're going to be scoffers. You probably know somebody who makes fun of you or makes fun of Christianity, that any sort of rule or any sort of uh, law they are not going to want to follow, they're just going to act like it doesn't apply to them. That's a scoffer according to the Bible. Look at the second indication there. They will follow their own ungodly desires. Now, that's another hallmark of ungodly people. They follow their own desires. They are dictated by their flesh. Whatever feels good to them, they're going to do it. And they're going to make an excuse for it. And they're not going to acknowledge it as wrong because, hey, it's what feels good for me. You do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do, right? Their own ungodly desires. Verse 19. These are men who divide you. They're the ones who cause division. Worldly minded. Devoid of the Spirit. This word for divide here is uh, what's known as a hapax legomenon. That's a fancy Latin word meaning there's only one occurrence of it in the New Testament. So anytime there's only one occurrence of a word in the New Testament, you have to pay attention to that because it says to you, hmm... All the other regular New Testament words that other authors may have used didn't quite get it, but Jude, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, picks this word and says, this one's the one I want. And what this one means is they made distinctions. Here's the way we would do it today. We would label people. Oh, that person is a Republican. Or, oh, that person's a liberal Democrat. Or, oh, that person is a fill-in-the-blank or fill-in-the-blank, right? That we have these prejudices in our minds, sometimes merited, sometimes by experiences, but we judge people based on our prejudices, and when we can prejudice them, we don't have to experience them or consider them as an individual, therefore we divide them as other than us, and different, and we look down our nose at them, and we say that with some sort of contempt in our voice, or at least we think it, right? ungodly people divide. It's not saying that there's not categories. It's not saying that there are not differences of uh, theology or differences of opinion or differences of politics. But if you are divisive in your nature, that demonstrates your ungodliness. Let's go on there. In verse 19, they divide you who follow their mere natural instincts. 
that one's pretty easy to understand. Their base nature, their flesh, their sinful desires. That's a hallmark of ungodly people. Don't need a whole lot of explanation there. And look at the last one. And do not have the Spirit. This one was like, bing, 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 bing. You know, when I'm reading through this, studying this, and laid this out months ago, I was like, yeah, the reason that they act this way, this way, and this way, that they're scoffers and mockers and that they're ungodly and that they're dividing people um, and they follow their own evil desires. Is What does it say there? They do not have the Spirit. In other words, they're not saved. Have you ever met somebody in the church who could say all the right things and put on their Sunday face, yet when you got to it, there was a nastiness about their spirit? A sinfulness that was based in the flesh, that sought to divide, that was judgmental and wicked and harsh and cruel and mean. I have. We can't play junior Holy Spirit, but this scripture would cause us to ask the question, is somebody like that, even though they attend church regularly, maybe the problem they struggle with and the reason they have all these sinful habits is that they're not saved. That's harsh, but it's grace, right? It's a warning of judgment. It's a reminder of grace to say to us, there are going to be people like this. So your question there, your second question asked, which of these do I need to repent of? Which of these demands my repentance is your second question. Because you may be saved, but... To a greater or lesser degree, you may struggle with one of these sins yourself. You may find that you're a scoffer. You may find that you too easily follow your flesh. You may find that you too often divide people. You may find that you need to repent. Repentance starts with confession. That's agreeing with God that what God calls sin, I call sin. And then repentance means turning. What do you need to repent of today? Those ungodly people... We start there with ungodly people that cause divisions, but we move on and get a little more hopeful. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and thank you, Jude, for writing it this way in verses 20 and 21. And your second point on our outline today is that the godly build others up. The godly build others up. We have our next steps, and it seems like forever ago that I preached a sermon series on it because it was, you know, like last January, right? But, you know, 2020 seems five times as long as the average year. We follow Jesus as our first one. We get baptized as our second one. We invite others as our third one. And our fourth next step is to belong together. And that has multiple meanings. That means belong to a small group, belong to a Sunday school class, belong to the church, develop relationships that are beyond Sunday morning. But it has this idea of being part of others and building others up because you're not about yourself. You're about others as Jesus was. So let's read verses 20 through 21 again. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. We've got a question here, and that is, what are the hallmarks of godly people? 
We had five hallmarks of ungodly people those last few verses, and the hallmarks of godly people here we see as well. And there's four of them if you're paying attention, at least four by my count, right? It says, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up. There's a lot written in the New Testament about building others up. I'm not going to tell it to you. You can go home and do a word study just for fun. Look at that phrase, build others up, and see as the Apostle Paul uses it throughout the epistles. And now Jude picks it up as something that we as believers in Jesus ought to do. The second hallmark of godly people, according to this passage of Scripture, is that they pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Now that one, I I need a little help for that one because it's a scripture I don't have memorized. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. You can write that down. It's one that when I read it here in just a second, you're going to go, oh, I remember that one. Maybe you have it memorized. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans and words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for saints in accordance with God's will. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. It says when your heart hurts too much, when your mind is too anxious and confused and you don't know what to pray, you just say, Holy Spirit, you got to do this for me because I'm humble and I'm broken and I need assurance. I need answers. A hallmark of a godly person is the one that prays in the Spirit. There's a third hallmark of a godly person, and that's in verse 21 there. When it says, they keep yourself in God's love as you wait. Keep yourself in God's love. If we obey God, we demonstrate we love God. If we love God, we follow that by obedience. You read that in John 14, 21, John 15, 10, other places in the New Testament. And then the fourth hallmark of a godly person. And this one's a beautiful picture. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. The best way to understand that word is keep your attention fixed. Pastor David talked about training dogs and something he had learned that when you tell a dog stay, the dog is not passively staying. The dog is like, I am on stay. I am doing stay. I am in the midst of stay until you tell them to do something different, right? Think about that in relation to the way we should be as believers in Jesus that we keep our attention fixed on the fact that Jesus is coming and someday that eastern sky is going to crack open and someday He's going to come back and take those of us who believe in Him and have trusted Him as our personal Savior Lord to eternal glory in heaven. And so we live today in light of tomorrow. It's called living with an eternal perspective. It's this life in light of the life to come. Living today with a view to eternity. And that's how we live. And that should be a hallmark of godly people. That the decisions you make today, no will affect tomorrow. And no will affect eternity. The choices you make, particularly in relation to lost friends and family members. And the way they watch your life. And watch your witness, not just your words. Affect eternity. If we're a godly person, we build others up. That's shown through the way we live So your second question there to apply this point is, which of these must I pursue? When you consider 
who you are in Christ and where you are at in your development as a follower of Jesus, which of these do you need to pursue? Is it that you need to spend more time building others up in faith? Is it that you need to spend more time praying, period, and asking the Holy Spirit to help you? Is it that you need more time in keeping in God's love? Or is it that eternal perspective and waiting actively, knowing that what you do now affects eternity? A question for us to consider as we move on to our third point on your outline. And that's that the merciful rescue others. We've had this picture in our first point about what ungodly people are like and hallmarks of the ungodly people, five of them from this scripture. We've had this picture in our second point today, four hallmarks of godly people. But now what Jude is saying is if you are a godly person, if you have received God's grace, if you are uh, uh, living in God's mercy, then you are going to choose to be merciful as well. And that's in verses 22 and 23. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, even hating the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The New American Standard Bible is more literal. It's a word-for-word translation, whereas the NIV that I use is a thought-for-thought. Listen to the way the NASB translates verses 22 and 23. It says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by flesh. Now, by the way this is written in Greek, there's some question of whether this is two different groups of people or three different groups of people. Most scholars come down and say it's three because we know Jude has a penchant for triplets. He says everything in three, and that's the way I see it here. There are three different types of people we need to have mercy on. The first is there in verse 22, and that's those who are doubters. This doesn't mean those that are disputing or dividing. This means those that waver in their think. They are uh, in their thinking. They're at odds with themselves. This is the believer who, because something has happened in their life to challenge their theology, that they're not quite sure about their theology anymore. Their faith has been rocked. And you're to have mercy on that person, not be judgmental and say, well, you can't believe that way if you're a Christian. No. You need to sit with them, cry with them, pray with them, talk with them, not just once, but again and again and again, and struggle with them in the faith that you demonstrate mercy to them as you've received mercy in the midst of their pain and all their questions, not pushing them out, but pulling them in. Be merciful to those who doubt. That second category there is save others by snatching them from the fire. Now that's a pretty bold kind of picture Save others, snatching them out of the fire. I think what Jude has in mind here is that there are some in the church he was written to that had followed these false teachers, and literally it was as if they were, you know, going to be subject to the fires of hell unless someone snatched them out and said, that's not the right teaching, that you're not following the Bible, that that's sinfulness, and literally rescued them from what could be the fires of hell if they continued down that sinful lifestyle. And then the last image is a little bit more difficult. Show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. I think our best understanding of what Jude is talking about here is because the folks that followed these Gnostic teachers were involved in such licentious lifestyle that you know when you really get down deep in sin, when you're really struggling with addiction, You don't even care how you smell anymore. 
You don't care that your clothes are stained because you're just barely living and you can't wait for that next time to satisfy that base human desire. What Jude is saying is even people that are that sick, that separated from God, we need to have mercy on them and rescue them. Mercy mixed with fear means that reverence awe that we're so moved by God's holiness that we cannot help but be moved by the abject sinfulness of others who encounter us in our lives. And we've got to do something to save them. We can't leave them in that sinfulness. The merciful rescue others is our point. So your question there, ask, who do I need to rescue? Do you know somebody in one of those three categories? Somebody who's in doubt, wavering. Somebody who is going down a sinful road that is, as if they're heading towards the fire. Or somebody that is so far into sinfulness, they don't even care what they look like or smell like or anything like that. That you need to help rescue them and demonstrate mercy to bring them to God's grace. Your question there ask, how should I rescue them? I think the answer to that one's easy. Mercy, right? It's all about mercy, to be merciful to them, to show mercy to those in need. Don't give them what they deserve, but give them what they can't earn in grace. So we started with the ungodly, we moved to the godly. We've talked now about mercifulness of godly people, and now we're going to end Jude with this amazing picture of God's steadfast glory. That's the fourth point on your outline today, and that's the steadfast glorify God. That those who are steadfast, believers in Jesus, glorify God in our lives. It says there in verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence, without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ for our our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. And I see that there are eight different characteristics of God therein. The first one is that He is a protector. He keeps us from stumbling. He holds us as steadfast. The second one is that He is a deliverer. He presents us before His glorious presence. So He delivers us from everything in this life, delivers us to heaven, so we're gone from the very presence of sin when we go to heaven, so He presents us. The third one is in that that He is our Savior, God our Savior. That's not referring to Jesus, this is referring to God the Father because it then says through Jesus in a minute. So God is our ultimate Savior. He's the one that saves us from our sin through the vehicle of Jesus the person of Jesus. And then it says of God that He is glorious before His glorious presence. When we think about who God is, we're moved by His glory of what His character is like and all He has made. He's majestic, it says there. He's powerful. He's authoritative or ruling. And finally, Before all ages, now and forevermore. He's eternal. These are eight different characteristics of God summed up in just these uh, phrases in these two short scripture verses right here. 
But they demonstrate to us what a godly nature should look like, steadfast, faultless, joyous, as we are saved, as we're recipients of God's mercy, as we're living in God's grace, we ought to live a life that can praise God this way as we look forward to eternity, which begs your first question there and your fourth point. How can I attain such a godly nature? What is it that you personally need to do to pursue a godly nature like that? Is there something that you need to confess today? Some habit you need to give up today? That second question may beg the first one by means of conclusion. And that's, which of God's virtues most captivates me? Because it may be that when you read verses 24 and 25, and you have this idea to him who is able to keep you from falling, he's a protector. He holds me steadfast. He keeps me from stumbling. Maybe that's the thing that captivates you most about God, and that's the thing that you need to ask Him to work within your life. Maybe it's His glory that you need to see His glory more in things. You just realize you're driving through life not paying attention, not seeing His glory in the face of every person you look at, not seeing His glory even in the frost that's on the trees, not seeing His glory in the way that you've received grace and others in your life exercise it towards you. We consider... God's glory, because we are steadfast, because He makes us so, because of His grace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're moved by Your Word that Your servant Jude wrote so long ago that we get to study even today. We're thankful that He reminds us in so many ways, in just a few short verses, of Your grace and your mercy, and your glory. God, I realize that there's some of us here today in this room and on the live stream that are struggling with something because of the circumstances of our life or the fears or the anxieties that are our natural reactions to those circumstances. May we give those things to you, God. God, it may be that there's somebody here that's listening right now, that needs to trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. And that would be the thing to help them overcome their ungodliness because they can't do it on their own. They need the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, Father, would we obey You as we sing today. In Jesus' name, Amen.